From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. Welcome back to the channel, everyone. Today, we're diving into health anxiety. If you are suffering from health anxiety, man, this is going to blow you away. It's going to blow so much of your frame of what you thought away because health anxiety is very complicated and no wonder people spiral dealing with this serious uh, condition and something I battled in the past. It It was brutal and I suffered from it at an early age and it snowballed, especially in my 20s, when everything in my life became even more unstable. Relationships, kind of this nihilism and meaninglessness enhanced all of that anxiety. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the we're going to talk about the solutions, the steps that you need to take. And if you know someone dealing with health anxiety, please share this with them. It will change their life. It will. You'll see because once you understand health anxiety, when it does pop up, you're going to know exactly what it is. And you're going to understand more of the complexity of that health anxiety. And so my channel, my aims and my mission is to awaken you to the realities of your anxiety and how one can naturally break from the complexity of anxiety. I see all the time people who comment on my channel, they say how much my story relates to them, how emotional I am, how passionate I am. And that's because when you conquer the dragon, you become a different person and you feel like you have to share the gold with the community. And that's how I felt when I overcame anxiety. I couldn't believe it because I viewed my older self as unhealthy, weak-minded, mentally and physically weak. And so when I conquered this, and it just blew me away because so much of myself emerged as a consequence, this individuation from this childlike, unconscious state of my being that I once inhabited. So when you do overcome that mountain or you climb that mountain, you feel like it's like a duty or it's, it's like a responsibility to help someone else who is battling this. So today I'm going to share some of my experience with health anxiety, but also talk more about the definition of health anxiety and why this can manifest in someone's life. So health anxiety is the continuous preoccupation over one's health, their state. Now they worry about having a serious illness and they are hyper aware over their symptoms to the point where they seek medical help continuously. Now, hypochondriacs, they self-diagnose with the help of Dr. 
Google. I'm sure you can understand that because Dr. Google is like fire, right? You handle it at your own, handle it at your own peril. I mean, Dr. Google can be useful, but for the most part, if you're suffering, if you're overly sensitive to certain sensations and symptoms, Google actually opens the door to more potential and this can greatly enhance your anxiety because the more pathways in front of you, the more anxiety you're going to, going to experience. It's a rabbit hole. So, you know, one sensation could mean like a hundred different things. And so what's so interesting about me overcoming health anxiety is I, I self-diagnosed myself with many different things, none of which came true, which is also interesting. Think about that. None of them came true. And in the end, all of that worry was pertaining to other reasons, root factors, root causes. We'll dive into that as well. So what also is interesting about health anxiety is that temperament can be a factor. If you are high in trait neuroticism, one experiences more fear, anxiety, mood swings. They're more sensitive to novelty. That's interesting. And those lower in this trait experience more emotional stability and they're less reactive to stress. And those high in neuroticism have a high startle reflex and have a high disgust sensitivity as well. So that's interesting. But it's not just trait neuroticism that determines whether you're suffering from anxiety. It's also environmental factors as well. So growing up in a household where someone was overly sensitive to their health or it could be overly sensitive to novelty as well, which is because the same kind of thing, because the sensations are novel. And so there is this term called referencing where the child is doing their own thing and something novel appears in their environment, like maybe uh, a bug, insect, something kind of they haven't seen before. So they don't know how to react to it. It's kind of like a blank slate, neutral response but they turn to the mom for a reference how do i respond to this novelty because the mom is the authority figure the dad is the authority figure so they turn look if the mom jumps up screams then the child now understands that this thing the mouse the bug requires this response and so imagine growing up in a household where the parent is very overly sensitive to that kind of a novel, not that novelty. You tend to absorb some of their traits. You respond accordingly as you grow up yourself. And so it's not always the case, bear in mind, but th this is all too common because children are like sponges. We absorb behaviors and we absorb patterns within the people that we look up to. 
then health anxiety can manifest when you've been comforted your whole life in a protective bubble. And then when you come into contact with the realities of existence, like an illness within yourself or someone else, the death of someone you know close to you, or it could be the confrontation of your own shadow, or it could be the malevolence of somebody, the shadow of somebody else. And this generates, well, huge existential concerns. Well, I'm vulnerable. I could die. And I am not the person I thought I was. This isn't the place I thought I knew. And that's, that's also interesting. And this can lead into depersonalization. It can lead into PTSD, where you feel detached from yourself and out of control of your motor movements. Very common. This is something I experienced when I suffered from PTSD as well. And a lot of people who suffer from anxiety, they feel detached. They feel like they're overwhelmed. They're in a place they don't understand. And that makes sense because your whole frame is completely gone. The, the world that you thought you knew, it's like the Siddhartha story, the Buddha story. Siddhartha grew up in this walled kingdom and overly protected by his father. His father didn't want to expose him to the realities of existence. And so he cleaned up the city. When he knew that his son was going to go out into the city, he didn't want any homeless people or people dying old people around he wanted everything to be pristine perfect so then when his son goes out there he just sees this paradisal kind of environment of perfection a utopia but what happens is the snake always gets into the garden that's the thing you should always invite maleficent to the christening that's in cinderella we don't want to invite maleficent well, she shows up anyways, doesn't she? And that's that's the snake always. And you should always bring the snake to the christening because the snake will wake you up that, you know, life isn't all what it seems. It's not just comfort and bliss and just meeting expectations and desires. It's novel. And we do what we can to buttress ourselves from the complexity of our lives. But there's so much complexity and so little of what we know that the complexity will get in. That you, you will lose your job or you will just something unexpected will occur. It always does. And it could be little to, to big things, right? And so in Siddhartha's case, he wound, he winds up meeting someone old and it shocks him. He's like, you mean this can happen to me? And he runs back into the kingdom with PTSD and he's in his room for like days, just like obsessing over what he saw. I mean, his toys and Xbox, it doesn't even matter to him anymore. He's just thinking about what he saw. He's like, what happened? I mean, that's health anxiety, right? Like why do people obsess over their symptoms? Well, that's because they are now the detective and their body is the crime scene. When when the snake slithers into the environment of a chimpanzee uh, group, the chimpanzees hit the trees so damn fast, but they 
sit and stare at that snake for 24 hours. They just are fixated by that novelty. And when somebody comes to me with health anxiety and they're just overly obsessive, I'm just like, yell, yeah. I mean, the novelty of your of existence has crept in. Now you're you're just trying to figure it out. The body's just trying to figure it out. It just wants to fixate on it to solve it. Makes sense. You know, and those symptoms of anxiety, they startle somebody because, well, they feel out of control because the amygdala takes over and it's now in the driver's seat and now you're you're in the back seat. You feel like, okay, well, what's happening now? I, I don't feel in control of my body. I feel these strange symptoms and sensations. Maybe something's wrong with me. And well, yeah, maybe something is, right? That's a good question. So a lot of people turn to their doctor and they turn to their family for reassurance. They're just trying to figure out the solution to the damn snake. And so this is what it's like for a hypochondriac. So they wake up in the morning and they're fixated on how they feel. Oh, there's that pain again. What if it's this? And you know, it's after a bad night's sleep too, really bad sleep. So they wake up and they kind of sludge out of bed. They kind of un- not motivated, right? They don't even want to make their bed. Don't even want to go to work. Sometimes they call in sick usually. And this is what I did. Like, I remember one night I was up till like 1 a.m. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to go to work for like seven. And I'm going to call in sick. I'm not going to show up. And I did. And I've, I've done that many times where I'm just overly concerned about my state that nothing, nothing else matters. And so they, the health anxiety sufferer kind of goes into the bathroom. They check their skin, their eyes and, you know, teeth, things like that for concern and usually because they're so sensitive to the novelty that you know they'll attach something negative that they see and and, and blow it out of proportion they kind of they they over they over generalize and they shoot the the thought to the most abstract catastrophic image that they can possibly manifest. And so they turn to their parents or whoever's around for reassurance. They'll call somebody, doctor, um, and then they'll, if they can manage, they'll get into the car, go to work. And, you know, they'll have a stumbly kind of morning, you know, kind of consume whatever they can, not really thinking about it, not thinking about nutritional value or trying to kind of cope maybe with medication, but they, you know, say they manage to get to work, they're at work, they avoid people, they try and avoid situations where they, I mean, a lot of the time, it's the judgmental eye, because people who suffer from panic attack, there's these two underlying fears of the fear of social judgment, and the fear of losing control, and dying, and being, and you know, making a fool out of themselves while they do it. And and so being in public, you know, at work even, they don't want to socialize because of the fact that, well, they're going to be judged, that maybe they'll see that I'm acting weird, strange, et cetera. 
And so they kind of avoid people. They'll spend time alone. Maybe they'll continuously call their family for reassurance. But, you know, once the day is over, they, they feel exhausted. They'll come home. They'll plop themselves on the couch or turn on the TV. And the night then becomes an even bigger challenge because when other people go to bed, it's then you in your own mind, right? So many people just keep the TV on for distraction. And a lot of people don't know who they are or what's lurking within their unconscious because of the fact of the distractions. We're so disassociated from from our internal world. Our internal world is like 95% of who we are. And, you know, we, we kind of lose ourselves in our phones and external means. But when the lights go out, the dragons and the monsters certainly come out of the closet because what happens when you start to quiet your own mind, when you're slowly drifting off into sleep? The brain is starting to calm down, but when it starts to relax, the, the fears and anxieties and the monsters are like, okay, now it's time to deal with us right now because you haven't dealt with us. They're lurking there. The reason why you're anxious is because there's undealt snakes. So the thoughts come, the concerns come, and the person can't sleep and they're suffering at night and it gets really bad for them. It makes sense. Makes sense. And then the worry, oh, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm going to be even more anxious tomorrow. I'm going to just lose it. How am I going to go to work? I'm just going to make a bigger fool out of myself. I'm going to feel even more out of control. It's just this loop every single day. And it, I know how it feels because that's what, that is exactly what I experienced with health anxiety. That's exactly what happened. And so when you enter this realm of hypochondria to the point where it just takes over and you're, you just feel like a slave to it, you're debil- it's debilitating, there's no returning to your previous existence, even though you want to, even though it's like, oh, I wish I was just my older self again, just feeling happy and outgoing and this and that. There's no returning. It's like that scene in Pinocchio where he comes back home after his adventures, after contending with the malevolence of existence and experiencing danger for the first time as this marionette puppet. Now his eyes are opened and he returns home and his father's not there anymore. That's because when you try and return home, it's not going to be the same anymore. And this is what happens to the psyche of someone with health anxiety. They want to return back to their regular state. They just can't. And I talk about this in my latest video on the channel, on my YouTube channel. So go check out that video. It's huge. There's no return to your previous state because your eyes are open. It's like Siddhartha returning back to his kingdom, like in complete shock and being overwhelmed by the realities of existence that he never realized, you know, it's new. It's, it's like, is this, is this reality? It's like, 
oh my God, that means that my other frame of reference is completely inaccurate. Now I have to reconstitute a whole, my whole conception of life. And then he obsesses over this forever. And that's how he turns into the Buddha is like, how does one transcend suffering? That becomes his fundamental question. And for a health anxiety sufferer, for me going through this, that becomes my fundamental question. It's like, how do I now overcome this problem? But in reality, it's not just overcoming that problem. It's over. It's overcoming the set of all problems. How does one transcend suffering itself? Now, if your belief system is of being unhealthy, like a health anxiety sufferer's belief system is, you have to build a healthy foundation, right? So that means you have to now adopt a new identity. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to rely on medications and try and numb themselves and return to an un to return to an unconscious state. That's the Adam and Eve story. Because what happens? In the Adam and Eve story, the snake that makes your eyes open presents the apple, the knowledge, right? Like the the the, the snake that opens your eyes presents you with the knowledge, right? And they take a bite and it opens Adam and Eve's eyes. And there's no return to unconsciousness. Because what happens after that is they realize that they're vulnerable, right? They try and cover themselves up with fig leaves and they hide in the bushes from God because God is like this overly judgmental figure judging them. It's like, yeah, I'm vulnerable. What do I do? It's like, well, yeah, that's what happens in our lives. Life will do what it can to open your eyes. That's it. Life will do whatever it can to open your eyes. And a lot of people you see when they're 50 and 60, they're just trying to like stay in this unconscious space. They don't want to, you know, formulate a new way of perceiving and behaving in this complex existence. And so you have to then learn to treat yourself like you're someone you actually care for. And this requires sacrifice. What are you willing to give up in order to serve the goddess of chaos? That's that's Kali, the Hindu goddess of chaos, right? Kali, you sacrifice things in the present for Kali to stave off chaos. And so a lot of people, like myself, I have to give up. Certain foods that I love, Chinese food, pizza, pasta, had to give that up. I sacrificed those instant gratifications to my future self. So the Brad in the future can be more mentally alert, stable, clear-minded. And then I have to give up things like smoking. I have to give up weed. I have to give up uh, reassurance seeking. I have to give up Xbox. And, you know, too much time, you know, on the phone and, you know, being distracted. And I have to give up my social circles around 
toxic relationships. All of these things are interconnected. And you start with one thing at a time, by the way, because if I, if this all seems like, oh my God, that's a lot, it is a lot. And that's another thing too, is people realize that 90, oh God, probably like 97% of their personality needs to be burned away. It's shocking because like who wants to give up so much of who they are, who they thought they, who they think they are. And it's like, yeah, you have to, I remember when I was recovering from this anxiety, I was learning from like, I think Tony Robbins, like about physiology, learning how to breathe properly and how to adjust posture. And I'm like, oh God, oh my God, I have to, I have to go back to square one and like adjust how I look and my posture and like my breathing, man, like really this, this is like a total transformation, this whole process. And it is a total transformation. It is a process, but it's also the most meaningful thing you will ever, ever do in your life because there's nothing more meaningful than taking on the cross of your suffering and transcending that suffering. There's nothing more meaningful than that. You become a totally different person. The quality of your life improves and you then start to give back to other people by the end of that. And that's, that's rewarding. That is rewarding. And I see health anxiety as the stage that leads you towards independence and higher potential. It is this transitional period. Now, those that stuff, those that suffer are dependent on authority and hold on to habits and material means to get by in the world. Now, medications, alcohol, we talked about that, junk foods, all are in that category, right? And the health anxiety is this unmanageable reality that needs to be mastered within you. That's, that's it. And so those that rise above this condition are naturally stronger and they build on a healthier foundation. And so they understand the monster. They, they understand how to tame that monster when it presents itself. And they understand that crutches like reassurance-seeking, medication, alcohol, TV, only make one weaker. It's just, you know, it can numb you, but it doesn't stave off chaos. Chaos will, you know, at 2 a.m. when you're in a drunken stupor, it, the chaos will come up and it could eat you at that period, and it will take you out. That's the problem with that. The monster has to be confronted. It has to. And so when I was recovering from health anxiety and especially panic, I remember going to the concert venues with Maggie and she would, she loves, and I do now too, I love the symphony. But she introduced that to me. And at the time when I was suffering, I went to the uh, symphonies with her and I would have these level 10 
panic episodes. I would sit down in the venue, the place would be packed, the lights would go out, the music would start to play, and all of a sudden, anxiety would hit. The monster emerges, and I would be sent into panic. Then the thoughts would be, oh no, what if I have a heart attack? What if I faint? What if I vomit? Oh my God, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. I have to find a way out of here. But if I get up and I make my way out of the audience, other people will think I'm weird and annoying. And Maggie will think I'm weird and annoying by doing that. And what am I going to do? And so I'm like, I'm like this barbed wire in this chair watching this performance, not really taking it in, not really not really enjoying it, to say the least. I'm just in this complete state of horror for like an hour and a half to two hours. And so by the end of that, I get up. I'm like, okay, I'm relieved that it's over. Let's just get out of here. Um, and I feel emotionally drained. And then I, I think, well, that's good. I survived, but how am I going to survive the next day? How am I going to survive the next day? How am I going to survive the next day? But here's what you need to know. The fact that I stayed, I start to build on these. I start to build on my associations. Um, because when you're in environments like that and you run away, you greatly enhance the fear of that environment. The dragon grows. Because things that run away are prey animals being chased by predators. And so the mind, the mind adjusts, the, the mind shifts your identity to prey animal. But when you decide to stay and, and that you understand that by staying, what you're doing, what you're doing, you're doing is making, creating new associations between the environment and you know your fears of the environment. So what happens is over time, the more you confront situations that make you uncomfortable, the more you then associate that environment as being something that won't kill you, because our minds are pattern recognition devices where we over the time like if you go into an environment and a similar environment a place that's crowded a place where you feel trapped and away from your safe place away from people that can help you then if you do that constantly the amygdala starts to get bored of the environment. Like, yeah, yeah, Brad's been here a hundred times before. He, yeah, yeah, he felt like he was nauseous here a hundred times before. Yeah, yeah, he was. He felt like he was going to lose control a hundred times before, but he survived. So you know what? He can survive this time, and that becomes more reflexive. You you become more competent. You become braver. It's not that you're going to become braver in just the one environment that you subject yourself to and you know that you stay and and reduce the anxiety but it's all environments like that it's the it's not just the elevator it's the elevator and taxi cab and concert venue and doctor's office and this and that work subway it it spreads and that's because 
your your tolerance is greatly increasing and you you believe that you're capable you're stronger than you thought you were and that's unbelievably eye-opening but you have to do the work you can't just sit around and take medications and just sit on the couch you have to find the next the next bar upwards that you can tolerate and and strive towards that show yourself that you can be in a situation and and survive you have to literally confront the dragon you have to find what you can tolerate that's just because what i did was i just i just threw myself into the belly of the whale at that venue cuz a lot of people they have to work through uh, systematic desensitization where you know you start with a picture of the environment you're afraid of on google until your amygdala is bored of that and then maybe you visualize the environment in your mind until you're bored of it and then you actually drive to the place that you're overly sensitive of and you sit there until you're bored of it and then you take incremental steps until you're in the place right there's that way so that's systematic and what I did for myself was flooding. You know, I'm just going to put myself in there. And if I can do that uh, a few times to maybe 10 times, then, then I can make these associations more prominent and real, right? The, association, the associations of this place is actually a place that I can tolerate. And that's where I'm going to leave you today on this podcast episode. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I'm so grateful for this community that has been growing and building ever since that I decided to share my stories of my brutal experiences with anxiety, depersonalization, um, depression, all of this. And the reason why I created this is I couldn't believe I actually got out of it. That if I can do it, so can you. Rise above anxiety. I'll see you next time. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.